Welcome to New Creation, a home for the creative community of Los Angeles. For more information, visit our website at newcreationla.com. And now, the sermon. Who are we? Why are we here? What is our purpose? These are life's biggest questions, and they are age-old questions. And the way we answer those questions has enormous implications. Who are we? Why are we here? What is our purpose? Even if you don't have an articulated answer to any of those questions, the way you live is a real-time answer. The answers lived out in the way that we spend our time, the way we spend our money, which reveals the things that we value. If I ask the people closest to you, by the way they observe you, what would they reveal about what you value? I'll bet they could give some pretty accurate answers to those questions because they see you live them out. They see me live them out. We can uh, try to distract ourselves from thinking about those questions, uh, but at the end of the day, we live them out regardless. Our routines can sometimes even feel like it just makes us into machines that just exist. I wake up, I eat, I go to work, I come home, maybe I have a hobby or two that occupies my time before I go to sleep, and then rinse, wash, repeat. We do it over and over again, feeling like machines. Who are we? Why are we here? What is our purpose? Who are we? Are we just machines? Are we here just to exist, just so we can keep going? Is our purpose just exist, just keep the system going? Well, our culture tries to answer those questions for us. Who are we? We are individuals with wants and desires. Why are we here? We are here to achieve something great. What is our purpose? It's happiness. It's to live each day for ourselves. Go get it. Only you can make it happen. If it feels good, do it. Anything for others is really ultimately just about making yourself feel good. And so we get into this routine and we live it out day after day. But then sometimes we come to a place like this that is beautiful, that is big, and it rightly makes us feel small. And we begin to question, is it really all about me? Is there something bigger? Is there something more? Now, over the last couple months, we've kind of had 
the rug swept out from under our feet. What happens when we can't live out what we believe about those big questions? We can't even go out. We can't work. What's my purpose? It doesn't take a pandemic to make you wrestle with these questions. There are plenty of things in life that bring us to the point of wrestling with these. Yet, in the pandemic, these questions become harder for us to avoid. So I think it's a perfect time for our series that we've been going through the last few weeks, Answering Questions, The Path to Faith. Now, we've spent the last two weeks answering questions about God, who he is, and that has to be our starting place. We can know nothing of ourselves until we know something about God, something about the one who made us. That has to be our starting place. So last week, we took a look at the story of Moses encountering God in the burning bush. And in that encounter, as God and Moses meet, Moses' response is, who am I? And that is a right response before God. Who are we? He looks up. And he sees the burning bush. He sees God reveal himself. And he sees him reveal his name. Now, this morning's passage that you heard, we have the psalmist kind of doing the same thing, looking up. He looks up and he looks around marveling at God's creation. The name of God is majestic over his whole creation. When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars which you put in place, then he asks this question, what is man? What are we that you would be mindful of us, that you would care for us? The psalmist is asking those questions that we started with. Who are we? Why are we here What is our purpose? I want to say first that we are image bearers. We've been talking about this concept a bit over the last couple weeks in looking at who God is. And so as image bearers, we are God's creatures, but we are set apart. We are different from anything else that he's made. As we look at the Genesis 1 account, we see that each of the things God makes He makes them according to its kind. But then when he makes mankind, he says, let us make mankind in our image. And so we are a reflection of God. Our psalm today, Psalm 8, verse 5, tells us this, that we are crowned with glory and honor. We are a a reflection of God to the world. Now, here's the amazing thing. If you have a heartbeat as a human being, you are an image bearer. There is no one so evil in this world that they don't in some way bear the image of God. Some way reflect the character of God. And so it tells us this, that all humanity 
deserves dignity, deserves respect, because they bear the image of God. Now, it also tells us this. As Christians, it means that the people that we, who, that we know who are not believers, who are not Christians, that they are image bearers too, which means they can be more moral, they can be more generous, they can be more kind. Why? Because they too bear the image of God. And it also means this, that we can learn from all image bearers because they deserve dignity because they deserve respect, because they reflect who God is, whether they believe it or not, it means that we can learn from them. In our psalm today, Psalm 8, we see that in answering this question, what is man, that God has tasked man of doing God's work in the world. He uses the same language as Genesis 1 28. And so in Genesis 1, we see that uh, we do some of the same activity as God does. God names things into existence, and then he calls us to name things. God is sovereign over his whole creation, and then he calls us to have dominion over it, to subdue it. Now, we, as image bearers, are made for relationship. Why is that? Because as we talked about last week, God himself is relationship. God is three persons in one God, a father delighting in his son through his spirit, through all eternity, fully known and fully loved. That is who God is as relationship. And God makes us, he makes mankind to enter into that delight of relationship, to enter into that knowing and being known. And so we are made to enjoy him. We are made to delight in him. Now, I loved watching our Mother's Day video and watching these children delighting in their parents and vice versa, the parents delighting in them. And so we are made for relationship with God. We are also made for relationship with one another. Genesis 2.18 tells us this, that it is not good for mankind to be alone. Why? Because we can't reflect the image of God alone. Why? Because God is relationship. And so that means we are meant for community. We are meant for relationship. So, we're made for relationship with God, for relationship with one another, and we are made for relationship with the creation that God has put us in. God proclaims this place that he made in the Genesis account, that it is good, that the physical earth is good. We see in the biblical drama that the Son of God takes on flesh, and not just for 33 years, but for all eternity, because the physical is good. Our goal is not to escape the physical. Our goal is for the physical to be restored and redeemed to the paradise that God created.
And so, as physical creatures, God gives us responsibilities for his physical creation. It's our playground. God says, make stuff, make culture, make food, make art, make cities. The future of our world is a city coming down from heaven. We have an eternal relationship with a physical creation. And so it means this, that as image bearers, we are representatives of all creation, for all creation. And so our obedience to God actually affects every other creature in all of creation. One of my seminary professors, Michael Williams, has a great quote. He says that this is not true of any other creature. Every other creature operates by instinct, but we are the only creatures that are responsible to God and responsible for every other of his creatures. We are also created to have a peace, a shalom, that represents all of these relationships. Relationship with God, relationship with one another, relationship with the creation. When all of those things are functioning as they were made to, that we would have this flourishing, this peace, this shalom within. That we would be content. That we would be fulfilled. So in this, in the creation account, we know who we are. We are God's creatures. We know why we are here to reflect his image. To be his representatives for all of creation so that it would all flourish, to delight in him, to enjoy him. But there's a second part, because our story doesn't end in creation. The next part of the story is the fall, which means this, that we are sinners, that we are broken and rebellious image bearers. What is sin? Again, I love this concept from Michael Williams. He talks about sin as being an intruder. Sin is not what God made. Sin was not something that he made for the world and intended for the world, but sin was an intruder that came into his perfect, beautiful paradise. I think the coronavirus gives us uh, a really good metaphor for sin as an intruder. The coronavirus is an intruder into our world, into our way of life. You can't see it, but yet it's changed everything. It kills, it destroys. And in the same way, sin came into our world as an intruder. You can't see it, but you experience it. And you feel its effects in everything you think, you say, or do. It kills. It destroys. 
and it reminds us that things are not the way they're supposed to be. What is sin? Sin at its heart is an abandoning of relationship. All those relationships that we made for, it's an abandoning of that. We put ourselves as God as we sin. We want to be the determiners of right and wrong. We want to live and work and flourish according to what we think and not what God thinks. Sin is wanting to be God and trying to overthrow his rightful place. As we are mediators for the creation, as we are image bearers, we are at war with our creator. That is what sin is. Now, you may have uh, grown up with this idea, this concept of sin being a missing of the mark. And that is true. But I think we think of that sometimes as imagine an archer aiming for a mark and just missing it, right? And so we miss the mark because we just aren't quite good enough. Our aim is not quite good enough. But what sin is, is not missing the mark because of a lack of skill. It's aiming for a different target. That's missing the mark. That is what sin is. It's missing the mark of what God wants for us and intends for us and aiming for something else, aiming for what we want, aiming for us to be in control, aiming for us to be our own gods. And the result of sin is this, that we are now under a curse. Genesis 2.15 says that the day we rebel against God, we will surely die. And so one of the results of sin is that death comes. And again, we see the effects in Genesis 3. There's this curse upon the creation with sin, with death. And it affects your sin. Everything becomes frustrated, filling the earth. The command God gives us in Genesis 1 becomes painful. Childbirth becomes painful. The relationships that we were meant for now have power struggles within them. Work becomes frustrated, a painful toil. For us, the curse right now is even to get work. And death comes. Physical death comes, but also a relational death, a spiritual death. That relationship with God, as it was made to be, dies. That relationship becomes cut off. We die to it because of sin. Now, as I think about all these things, I think that's a pretty good description of the world that I live in. And so the Bible helps me to understand who I am and also who I was made to be. It helps me understand what went wrong. And it gives me an honest picture of the scope of the problem. That brings us to our need. So what then is our need if we really understand the scope of the problem in this way? Well... 
our world has said, you know what? Technology, that's what'll fix our problem, but it never will because it can't. With each gracious ease of the curse, the curse just manifests itself in other ways. Technology can't fix the problems of shalom, of lack of shalom. It can't fix the problems of relationship. And that is why every good intention is corrupted. Think about the world's attempts to solve hunger. You know what we'll do to get rid of hunger? Let's make as much corn as we can, and that'll feed the whole world. In fact, we'll uh, bio-engineer it, right? And then that good intention of we could feed the world becomes corrupted. That genetically modified corn then makes its way into our bodies and does things to our bodies for many of us that weren't intended. The overproduction leads to this uh, overproduction of corn syrup. And so corn syrup enters everything. And so poor people eat lots of corn syrup and it causes diabetes and heart attacks. And so we have this good intention of let's solve world hunger, but then the effects become corrupted because sin affects every inch of this world. Now, we talked about the effects of sin being death. If the problem is ultimately death, what can I do? What can I do to avoid death? Can I just be a good boy? Can I just try really hard with those relationships, do my best to make them right? Will that get rid of death? No. If the problem is ultimately death, the answer to what can I do is nothing. There is nothing I can do. And it means this, that something must be done on my behalf. The problem is too great. There's no amount of good that we could ever try to do to undo sin and death because any good is tainted by sin. Now, it's important to remember that in the midst of that, the people of God's creation are still his image bearers. And I think some traditions land so heavy on we are sinful and depraved, and they see everyone just in that vein. And on the other side, we have no, everyone's just uh, an image bearer, a reflection of God, and they ignore the other part. Both are true. We are image bearers, who are broken, who are sinful and rebellious. And so as we look at the world, I think for me, my tendency had always been to look at the sin side. You know what I see first? I see people's brokenness. I see their rebellion. And what that does is that gets me to look down on them. But my time in seminary was really transformational. God did an amazing work on my heart in learning these principles. And it's learning to look at people's image bearers first. Where do people reflect the image of God? And to be on the look for that before we're ever on the look for their sin. And that is 
a huge point for our church, that we need to hold those two things together, to hold them in tension, not just landing on one or the other, but holding both together. The good news for us today is that God does not leave us here. He gives us good news. Back to our psalm, Psalm 8. It starts with, O Lord, our Lord. If you're reading that in your Bible, you'll see, O Lord is all caps, which means what? It means that, O Lord, the psalmist is using the name Yahweh. O Yahweh, our Lord. The psalmist calls on the personal name of God, the covenant name of God, Yahweh. The I am has made all of this of Yahweh. The one who revealed himself to Moses and delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. The one who was faithful to his promises. Our God, Yahweh, made it all. Our God, Yahweh, the great I am, I am with you, made us and is mindful of us and cares for us. He is the God, as we talked about last week, who sees us, who hears us, and who knows us. And that is who the psalmist calls upon. We need someone outside of ourselves to rescue us. We need a restoration of shalom. And in that, we need new life. And so that rescue needs to be a resurrection, a spiritual resurrection and a physical resurrection. And we need someone to fulfill God's purposes that he gave us in Genesis on our behalf, a better representative of his creation. And that is exactly what God gives us. God gives us himself. He comes to us in his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus lives the life that we never could. And he dies the death that we deserve. And he does this to raise us to new life. And through faith in Jesus, we can now taste this shalom. The shalom that we were intended for. Shalom with God. Shalom with one another. Shalom with his creation. And shalom within ourselves. And the Spirit of God gives us this dynamic power, a power of life to begin to live in the way that we were created. Through faith in Jesus, the curse is being undone. But it will only fully and finally be undone when Jesus returns to the world that he has made. And so our mission in the meantime is this, to be agents of shalom. It is through faith to show the world what a restored relationship with God looks like that we were once dead to. It's to show the world what restored relationship with one another looks like. It's to show the world what restored relationship with God's creation looks like. It's to be a blessing, a blessing to all the families of the earth. 
It is to be renewed and restored representatives of God's world. So let me conclude with this. Who are we? We are God's creatures made in his image. And we look for that first in everyone around us. And we are also sinners who are being redeemed and renewed through faith in Jesus Christ. Two, why are we here? We are here to enjoy God and to reflect his image to the world around us. What is our, par- our purpose? It is to be agents of shalom. We are to live in relationship to God. We are to live in relationship to one another. And we are reli- to live in relationship to God's creation with a restored peace, a restored shalom, with a contentness and with joy. And we are to be hopeful no matter what our circumstances are, knowing that Yahweh knows us, that he loves us, that he is mindful of us, and that he cares for us, and that he has promised to rid the world of the intruder of sin and death upon the return of Jesus. And that is good news. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks this morning for your beautiful creation and all that it reveals of you and the questions that we need to ask as we ponder it, as we ponder you. Lord, we should feel small when we get into these grand spaces and ask, what am I? Who am I? And thank you that we have answers to those questions in your word. Thank you for the psalmist's words this morning. Lord, I pray that you would help us to lay these truths up in our hearts, that we would live them out, that we would see others around us as your image bearers, and that we would be agents of shalom. And so, Lord, be with us as a church, even as we're confined, that we could be agents of peace in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in the city, as we engage over technology. Lord, empower us by your Spirit, giving us new life to be agents of shalom. And we ask this all in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this sermon and encourage you to become a regular member of our online community. To find out more about the church, visit our website at newcreationla.com.